0: Hello, and welcome to British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd. You can find me at Lloyd.com or at at ShakeUpHistory on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please follow me so we can explore history together. I'm delighted you're joining me for a January 2021 podcast series, Your Questions Answered, As I've heard wonderful questions from so many of you, I thought it would be great to have some time to discuss them and keep those questions coming. What we don't get to in January, we'll address later in the year. Thank you so much for starting your year by joining me in a journey back in time. We'll continue to shake up history, to explore lesser known facts and figures, and to look at the people who don't always make the history books. Mostly, we'll continue to see how history shows us what's possible. After all, the stories of the past inform the present and inspire the future. And now, let's jump into your questions. Once again, I'm turning to your questions to explore history. This week's episode seems to embrace all three areas, royals, rebels, and romantics. I'll leave it to you to decide who goes where. The first thing I want to say is history is complicated. We don't know everything. Contemporary records were made by people with flawed understanding and their own agendas. As I'm recording this, it's the second week of January 2021. Think about someone approaching piles of news reports 200 to 250 years from now. The events of the past days and past weeks have been described in diametrically opposed ways, depending on who is reporting how will historians in 2221 know which accounts are most real? We face the same questions as we approach what happened during the reign of Queen Charlotte, which spans the active reign of George III and the time of the regency when the king was too ill to reign and the prince regent took control of the monarchy. I want to especially thank my friend Jerry May for helping me get the ball rolling in jumping into this fascinating time. The Regency was a time of war and social upheaval. The power of the monarchy was being challenged from within the country and by those upstart colonies in America. The French Revolution resulted in the execution of the royal family. A small slice of the country controlled a vast majority of money and land and power, while much of the country struggled and some starved. At the same time, Arts and culture were thriving. The court was full of music, including a a young Mozart. Beau Brummel introduced a new focus on fashion. There were advances in architecture and building. Literature reached a new pinnacle, with Sir Walter Scott, Fanny Burney, Maria Edgeworth, Mary Shelley, William Godwin, and, of course, Jane Austen. So what was the Regency really like? That's a question we can only answer in parts. We can learn something from the music and the literature, something from the architecture. We can know something of the elite and powerful. We can learn from reports that praise national leaders and from caricatures that poke fun of those in power. Because this time is full of people, the Regency, like today, is complicated. It's true of the people who filled the streets and shops of London. It's true of the people who farmed and harvested and never saw a city. We can't know everything. If we keep an open mind and stay curious, we can learn something. And that's true about Queen Charlotte. With the splashy new Netflix drama Bridgerton hitting the airways in the last couple of weeks, the questions surrounding Queen Charlotte are bubbling to the surface once more. Here are a few I've received. What was she really like? Where was she from? Why did she have all those children if she hated being pregnant? How did she become Queen of England? Is Charlotte, North Carolina really named for her? What did she do after George III became too ill to rule? Was she a gossip? And was she really black? All the questions matter, and most have their own complications. My belief is that we can learn from history with all its complications. As we do, we'll be able to more successfully navigate our own complicated lives and prepare for a complicated future. We don't know all the answers, but we can start by asking some of the right questions. So that's where we are going today we are asking what we can learn about Queen Charlotte. Even if we don't have definitive answers, we can certainly learn something. The TV series Bridgerton is a Netflix drama, and you'll notice I'm not calling it a history program or documentary that has stirred up questions regarding the often forgotten wife of George III, also the mother of the Prince Regent George IV, those men who ruled England during the time period. The TV series is based on novels by Julia Quinn, which, interestingly enough, don't include Queen Charlotte. Bridgerton's showrunner, Chris Van Dusen, explains the benefits of adding the character. Quote, "'Adding Queen Charlotte afforded us an opportunity to see what true excess and decadence looked like at the time. She brings real import to the world as we get to be in some amazing spaces with her.'" from Buckingham House to St. Regis Palace, end quote. In fact, they even filmed one scene in Lancaster House, which is a royal residence that is still used by the royal family. It's that scene where two fictitious characters, Simon and Daphne, ask Queen Charlotte for permission to marry quickly. A few weeks before the scene was filmed, Queen Elizabeth II had used that same room to host a dinner party for guests from around the world. So certainly, the inclusion of Queen Charlotte gave the show the opportunity to move the action into royal grounds. Van Dusen also turned to the Queen to heighten the stakes of the marriage-making atmosphere. Quote, she was definitely very much a part of the social scene during Regency times, he said. It's thought that King George III established the first debutante ball in 1870 in honor of his wife's birthday, This became known as Queen Charlotte's Ball and was held at Buckingham Palace every year until the 1950s. But the most significant thing about adding Queen Charlotte allowed the show to make race part of the theme. The casting is not colorblind, but color conscious. As the show's creators explained that they wanted to make questions about race one of the defining features of the program – along with questions about gender and sexuality. Van Dusen said, quote, It's something that really resonated with me, because it made me wonder what that could have looked like. What would have happened? What could she have done? Could the Queen have elevated other people of color in society and granted them titles and lands and dukedoms? In the world of Bridgerton, the choice to make Queen Charlotte visibly black opened doors. Again, quote, That's how our Simon Bassett, our Duke of Hastings, came to be. We get to explore it in a really interesting way, and it goes to the idea of what our show does. We're making history and fantasy in a really exciting, fascinating way, end quote. Or for some people, in a way that's too heavy-handed. For example, Washington Post television critic Hank Stuver maintains that Bridgerton doesn't quite work, quote, a black character stops to explain, grandly, how and why this society came to be integrated. Answer, because the queen is a person of color. Not only does this not make much sense, but it seems like an unnecessary wrench thrown into a completely sensible and revisionary romp. People of color are here because they should have been here all along. Isn't that reason enough? End quote. Most scholars think that the regent period was Regency period was, historically, more diverse than we typically see in movies or television productions. Adwoa Ando, who plays Lady Danbury, said, People of color existed in this country right back to Roman times, and Regency London had 20,000 black people. End quote. Bridgerton also, and less self-consciously, addresses this with the character of Will Mondrick, who was inspired by Bill Richmond. Richmond was a slave who fought for the British during the American War of Independence. He was brought to England by his commanding officer and became a successful boxer. At age 41, he opened his own gym and trained people like Lord Byron. But that doesn't mean diversity reached the upper levels of society. So who is this queen that Bridgerton decided to pull into the story? Charlotte's life and marriage. Charlotte was born in mecklenburg strelitz in 1744. She grew up in what is now Germany. She was educated as most young women were and spoke French but no English. She was especially fond of and excelled in music. In her youth, she was described as lively and having an even temper. In 1761, at age 17, her life changed as she prepared to go to England and meet her future husband, King George Third. She was chosen as a wife for George either by the king's mother or the king himself. Charlotte didn't have much say in the matter. Lord Harcourt was sent to bring her to England. He described her as having pretty eyes, nice teeth, but being no, quote, regular beauty. We're not sure what he meant by that, but it is later used in questioning her background. She was very sick on the journey to England and lost quite a bit of weight. As a result, her wedding dress, heavy because of the diamond embellishments, nearly fell off during the wedding, which happened just six hours after the couple met. Although the marriage was arranged for political and religious rather than personal reasons, George and Charlotte had a close and happy marriage for the first 25 years of their lives together. Charlotte quickly learned English and adapted to the British court. George III was determined to overcome the negative image his father and grandfather had experienced and to make the monarchy more popular in a time when revolutionary fever was growing. Although he was not successful with the American colonies, he did present a more positive image of the monarchy in Britain. George and Charlotte had 15 children together. They both loved music and oversaw a musical and artistic court. A few of the letters between the king and queen survive and they demonstrate an affectionate relationship. A letter Charlotte wrote to her husband in 1778 ends with these words. You will have the benefit by your voyages to put spirit in everybody, to be more known by the world and if possible, more beloved by the people in general. That must be the case, but not equal to the love of her who subscribes herself, your very affectionate wife and friend, Charlotte. The king and queen were dedicated to their children. They spent time together at Windsor and Kew, where they could be less formal than at Buckingham Palace. The king was determined that his children be as dedicated and serious in their pursuits as he himself had been. This strict upbringing worked reasonably well while the children were younger, but as they grew, some began to rebel. In particular, the couple's eldest son, George, pushed back against his father's high expectations. The king responded by pushing George even harder. At age 17, the prince himself admitted to drinking too much and being too fond of women. (sighs) Some feel his dissolute lifestyle was a reaction to his strict upbringing. Charlotte was considered one of the most scientifically-minded queens. She was interested in botany and was a key figure in the establishment of Kew Gardens. She drew and cataloged the plants that grew around her. She brought botanists like Joseph Banks, Daniel Solander, and John Lightfoot to court, as well as geologist Jean-André Deluc. She also surrounded herself with a network of intelligent and vibrant women, including novelist Fanny Burney, and naturalists Elizabeth Harcourt and Margaret Cavendish. Charlotte is reported to have said, quote, I am of the opinion that if a woman had the same advantages as men in their education, they might do as well, end quote. But Charlotte's happy times were not to last. The king's early bouts of illness were kept from her, but as the episodes continued, they could not be hidden from her or from the court. The king's illness led to suffering for his family as well. According to Mrs. Philip Libby Pose, who had witnessed the coronation, quote, surely never was anyone to be more pitied than Her Majesty, as no couple had ever been happier than they were before this greatest of all misfortunes, end quote. The king's illness lingered for years, eventually becoming so debilitating that a regency was declared. In 1811, the Prince of Wales became regent, and Queen Charlotte became the king's guardian. Charlotte did continue to be active in court life during the early years of the Regency. After the Prince Regent's marriage to Caroline of Brunswick failed and she left, Charlotte effectively took her place at court. As time went on, the King had bouts of violence and Charlotte had to stay away from him completely. They lived apart in their final years. In 1818, as the King languished at Windsor Castle, Charlotte's health began to fail She was confined to Kew Palace, forcing the weddings of her two sons to be held there. The palace set up an altar in the drawing room for the double ceremony which Charlotte attended. By the fall, she stayed mostly in her room, where she died the 17th of November, 1818. King George probably didn't even understand that his once-beloved wife had died. He himself died just a little more than two years later on January ninth, 1820. After nine years of being Prince Regent, George and Charlotte's son became King George IV. So now we come to the big question, was Queen Charlotte black? Historians are divided on this question. It's complicated. So let's take a look. The questions about Queen Charlotte's race seem to have really come to the fore with Joel Augustus Rogers in 1940, when he wrote that portraits and contemporary descriptions of Charlotte, quote, clearly show a black strain. See Sex and Race, Volume 1. In 1967, Mario de Valdez y began researching the queen's ancestry. This is where the theory really began to draw attention. According to Valdez, Charlotte's physician described her as mulatto, and Sir Walter Scott described her as ill-colored. Those are quotes. Valdez said that that made him start a systemic genealogical search, which led him to conclude that Charlotte was directly descended from a black branch of the Portuguese royal family. According to his claim, Alfonso III had a mistress who was from a Moorish town, and one of their sons married into the de Seuss family, which also had black roots. Charlotte's ancestry, according to Valdez, has Black members in both lines. Valdez also turns to the portraits of Sir Alan Ramsay, which include features that he says indicate a mixed background or, in his words, quote, the Queen's unmistakable African appearance, end quote. Ramsay himself was a well-known court portraitist who was commissioned to do the royal coronation portraits for George III and Queen Charlotte. Ramsey was also known to be anti-slavery. Copies of the coronation portraits were sent to the colonies. Some see this as a form of anti-slavery propaganda. Valdez is not the only historian who pursued this line. Dr. Joyce Hemlow of McGill University offers several quotations that describe Charlotte in terms that indicate a mixed-race heritage. She reinforces the description of the Queen's personal physician, Baron Stockmar. In 1996, the PBS series Frontline leaned heavily into the conclusion that Queen Charlotte had Black ancestry. According to the PBS website, quote, Queen Charlotte, wife of the English King George III, was directly descended from Margarita de Castro e Sosa, a Black branch of the Portuguese royal house. The riddle of Queen Charlotte's African ancestry is solved, end quote. In addition to the work of Valdez and others, this discussion includes support from art historians. The historians concluded that paintings of the Magi as black figures must have been based on actual people because they so successfully captured specifics in skin tone and bone structure. The thought is that the models for the black Magi were members of the Portuguese family that had traveled to the Netherlands in the 15th century. This is used to support the notion that the family was black. Queen Charlotte's ancestry is traced to this family. There are certainly those who dispute this theory. It's not clear that Baron Stockmar was Charlotte's physician. In fact, he is listed as the physician to Prince Leopold of Saxe coburg The portraits of Ramsay do have a style that could indicate a mixed-race background especially if you compare his portrait of Charlotte to some of his other subjects. On the other hand, most other portraits of Charlotte don't include these characteristics. And perhaps more tellingly, the caricatures that were so popular during this time and that pulled no punches in portraying the idiosyncrasies of the royals include no sense of Charlotte having anything other than traditional features. The genealogical evidence is also questioned. For one thing, the relationship between Alfonso and his mistress, who has different names and different accounts, is unclear. Also, the term more, which is used to describe her, is taken by Valdez to mean African, but that is not always the case. Sometimes more is a more general term referred to, used to refer to people from North Africa and Spain. And the nine generations between Alfonso and Charlotte would significantly have diluted their connection. Even so, the story continues to hold our attention. In 1999, the London Sunday Times published an article with the headline, quote, Revealed the Queen's Black Ancestors. The story itself acknowledges that the connection has not been proven, but it claims that, quote, an American genealogist has established that Queen Charlotte, the wife of George III, was directly descended from the illegitimate son of an African mistress in the Portuguese royal house. The American genealogist, of course, was Valdez. After the Times story, the Boston Globe hailed the research as groundbreaking. But still, people disagree. Kate Williams, a current popular historian, says that the story raises, quote, important suggestions not only about our royal family, but those of most of Europe, considering that Queen Victoria's descendants are spread across most of the royal families of Europe. But she is skeptical about the theory, as are other historians. David Williamson, former co-editor of de Brett's Peerage, says, In any case, all European royal families are linked to the kings of Castile. There's lots of Moorish blood in the Portuguese royal family, and it has diffused over the rest of Europe. The question is, who cares? End quote. And there's the problem. A healthy and respectful debate, including calling into question the notion of genealogical claims and which physician was there, when, and what was behind a particular portraitist's style, is the way to learning. Dismissing those questions with, who cares, is what leads to the perpetuation of minimizing, Questions and history and people, all kinds of people. Before Bridgerton, the most recent time this question was raised was in 2019 when Prince Harry married Meghan Markle. Is the Duchess of Sussex the first mixed race member of the British royal family? Back when The Times and the follow up Globe articles were published, the palace spokesperson is supposed to have responded to the questions about Queen Charlotte's ancestry by saying, quote, this has been rumored for years and years. It's a matter of history, and frankly, we've got more important things to talk about, End quote. To dismiss a question because it's about history seems unfathomable for a person associated with a monarchy which depends on history. And, to insult the significance of exploring the possibility of a queen having black ancestry is to me unconscionable. Whatever you think of the royal family or the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's decision to step away from the royal family, the blatant racism in the media coverage of Ms. Markle proves that this is exactly what we should be talking about. So the question of Queen Charlotte turns out to matter very much. History. It's complicated. The answers aren't easy, and often they aren't clear. But we need to keep asking the questions. Thank you for joining me to explore the history and questions about Bridgerton and Queen Charlotte. Speaking of questions, next week we have another one to explore. How and when did the British monarchy get started? Hmm. That should be easy. Not. See you then. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share with a friend. Do send any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you where we should explore next. And please subscribe and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could explore history together. Till next time. (music)